afternoon. My name is Emma, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Cloudflare Q4 2021 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. In the matter of time, we ask that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, again, press star one. Thank you. Jason Nolan, please begin your conference. Thank you for joining us to discuss Cloudflare's financial results for the fourth quarter, 2021. With me on the call, we have Matthew Prince, co-founder and CEO, Michelle Zatlin, co-founder, president, and COO, and Thomas Seifert, CFO. By now, everyone should have access to our earnings announcement. This announcement, as well as our supplemental financial information, can be found on our investor relations website. As a reminder, we'll be making forward-looking statements during today's discussion, including, but not limited to, our customers, vendors, and partners' operations, and future financial performance, anticipated product launches, and the timing and market potential of those products, the company's anticipated future revenue, financial performance, operating performance, non-GAAP gross margin, non-GAAP net income, non-GAAP net income per share, shares outstanding, non-GAAP operating expenses, free cash flow, non-GAAP tax expense, dollar base, not retention rate, paying customers, and large customers. These statements and other comments are not guaranteed for future performance, but rather are subject to risks and uncertainty, some of which are beyond our control including but not limited to the extent and duration of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and adverse conditions in the general domestic and global economic markets. Our actual results may differ significantly from those projected or suggested in any forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements apply as of today, and you should not rely on them as representing our views in the future. We undertake no obligation to update these statements after this call. For a more complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties that can impact our future operating results and financial condition, please see our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as in today's earnings press release. Unless otherwise noted, all numbers we talk about today and revenue will be on an adjusted non-GAAP basis. All current and prior period financials discussed are reflected under ASC 606. You may find a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures in our earnings release on our investor relations website. For historical periods, the GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliation can be found in the supplemental financial information referenced a few moments ago. We would also like to inform you that we will be participating in the JMP Securities Technology Conference on March 7th, the KeyBank Emerging Technology Summit on March 8th, and the Morgan Stanley Technology, Media, and Telecom Conference on March 9th. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Matthew. Thank you, Jason. In the immortal words of Bill and Ted, we had a most excellent quarter. In Q4, we achieved revenue of $194 million, up 54% year over year. We added 156 new large customers, those that spend more than $100,000 a year with us, ending the year with 1,416 large customers, up 71% year over year. Our dollar-based net retention picked up to a record of 125%, including six percentage points from a year ago. For the full year, we earned $656 million, up 52% year over year. 2021 becomes our fifth straight year with 50% or greater compounded growth. I'm proud of two things. First, over those five years, our growth has actually accelerated. And second, and probably more important, our growth has been relentlessly consistent. We've dialed in our business, we understand and are in control of its levers. You can see that in metrics like our gross margin. While talked across the industry is about increasing costs and pricing pressure, we achieved a gross margin of 79%. That remains above our long-term target gross margin range of 75 to 77% and creates some opportunities. We expect to use this exceptional gross margin as a weapon to take business and competitors more vulnerable than we are to pricing and cost pressures. It also allows us to bundle together products into an overall platform no competitor can match. In Q3, we had our first quarter as a public company with positive operating margins. This is our second. It won't be our last. That said, as I talked about last quarter, you're not in a rush to be significantly profitable. Over the years, our team has asked me about profitability. The story I told them was to imagine every year you saw your neighbor shoveling money into a machine. A year later, a lot more money came out. 
Year after year, the money kept piling up and getting shoveled back in. If, one year, you looked out your window and didn't see your neighbor shoveling all the money back into the machine, you'd worry, what's wrong with the machine? To be clear, there is nothing wrong with our machine. We will continue to shovel money back in to drive innovation and reach new customers as long as we can achieve exceptional growth. Continue managing our operating margin a bit like that game, Happy Bird. Not too high, not too low. For as long as we can, we want our operating margin to hold just about break even and right where it's been for the last few quarters. In other words, we've done something wrong if we keep significantly on ETS. Cash flow, on the other hand, nobody is going to complain if there's more cash in your bank account at the end of the quarter than there was at the beginning. We're proud that we can five quarters per quarter since we've been public to be three cash flow positive. It also won't be our last. We know this is a business that can generate significant cash flows when we want. In the short term, we expect we'll see negative cash flows for the next two quarters as we invest in our network and redesign our physical offices for a post-COVID world. But by the second half of the year, we expect to be free cash flow positive. We admire and seek to emulate other companies who came before us and had significant cash flows while holding operating margins at great even. And we feel very dialed in and confident in our business as we come out of the uncertainty of the last few years. Now, what's our secret? It's not one thing, it's many. It starts with innovation. When we talk to customers, what they appreciate about customers are relentless innovation. It expands our market and ensures that customers can use us to be the complete future of their corporate network. But beyond new products, we leverage economies of scale and network effects to drive our business and innovate more efficiency. Yes, the supply chain has gotten harder, but we've leveraged our relationships hyper-efficient procurement team, and fully software-defined network to keep driving our costs down. Network effects are spawned by networks, and we run one of the largest networks in the world. As customers join our network, our network is better and more efficient. If you want to understand how we've been able to continue to drive our business at this rate, this virtual cycle is where to look. And because it's a flywheel, this efficiency allows us to continue to invest in products. Our team loves launching new products, and we're planning at least seven innovation weeks full of new products in 2022, further extending our network, introducing new capabilities, and growing our camp. The products we announced in 2021 are already thriving. For example, we had over 200,000 domains sign up for our email routing service and seemingly overnight become a major email security provider. Our Q, our zero egress object store, has had more than 9,000 signups for its closed data, including some incredible logos. They represent hundreds of petabytes of storage and demonstrate palpable excitement around our workers and software platform. We're on track for R2 to progress to open data in Q2 and then be generally available in the second half of 2022. While our bias is toward internal product development, we will make strategic acquisitions when we find teams and products that can complement what we've built. I'm excited to announce today that we've acquired Bitrix, a startup that has built the easiest to use, most powerful CAS to use team. CASBs, Cloud Access Security Brokers, are a category of services that give visibility and control over data surrounding SaaS applications. They can be powerful tools, but their Achilles heel has always been their complex setup. The Vectrix team impressed us with how quickly they could onboard any new customer, regardless of size, and instantly give them visibility into all the service providers where the customer's data was stored. As such, their product is a natural add-on to every current Cloudflare customer. To remind me of Cloudflare and our philosophy for earliest days, the Vectrix team and technologies to round out our zero-trust platform, hitting visibility not only to data flowing across the network, but now also data at rest and service providers. We believe it makes Cloudflare Zero Trust a no-brainer comprehensive security solution for any company, and we're thrilled to have the Vectrix team on board. Let me highlight some great things we have with Zero Trust and other products of this quarter. A global Fortune 500 telecommunications company and a $1 million annual contract for over 100,000 zero trustees. This customer initially started on a self-service plan with fewer than 500 states two years ago. This win shows how the ease of use of our service and ability to land customers with individual teams within organizations can efficiently turn them into major customers over time. A Fortune 500 media company signed a $250,000 annual contract for more than 10,000 zero trustees. With a competitive deal, ultimately they selected us for being the most flexible and innovative solution on the market. What's great about wins like these is that there's an opportunity for us to expand the customers across our entire platform. You earn your place in the platform one feature at a time. 
Customers often work with us to solve a problem, and then, over time, give us a chance to compete for more of their business. And we saw exactly that with other customers this quarter. For instance, a Fortune 500 financial services company expanded their use of our platform by signing a $900,000 three-year expansion deal, bringing their annual contract value to over $1.5 million. They described us as future-proof. It's an example of us bundling our platform to give them access to a broad set of our features while minimizing procurement costs. The Fortune 1000 shipping and logistics company signed a similar platform bundle deal, which more than doubles their three-year contract value to $3 million. We specifically appreciated how Cloudflare was a single vendor to turn to to deliver the future of their corporate network. A Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company signed a $750,000 three-year deal for network security. It continues to be true that as companies migrate to on-premise hardware solutions and continue to turn to Cloudflare to build the future of their network. And as we come out the other side of COVID, we're seeing more and more companies rethink their network design and moving to the cloud and away from on-premise boxes. A Fortune 500 retailer moved away from two competitors in order to take advantage of Cloudflare workers. While the competitors have promised similar functionality, we found it simply didn't work as promised. We signed a three-year, $1.2 million contract. Our workers' platform, which has been in production now for four and a half years, continues to extend its lead with developers. And you didn't have to be a Fortune 500 company to sign a big deal with us this quarter. One of the most innovative team in startups signed a three-year, $1.5 million contract for our network security product. They appreciate Cloudflare workers and the flexibility it provided them to service a broad set of merchants worldwide. Finally, in our business, we need to stay on top of cybersecurity issues globally. We are therefore watching the situation in Ukraine closely. Modern warfare increasingly includes the cyber battlefield. While they don't generate meaningful revenue, we have onboarded a number of Ukrainian businesses, news outlets, and government organizations in anticipation of potential attacks. While we hope the current tensions will resolve peacefully, we have experience mitigating nation-state cyber attacks, and we are prepared to defend our customers and network, whatever may come. Before I turn it over to Thomas, I wanted to thank the entire Cloudflare team for all your hard work and dedication. It was a most outstanding quarter and a most outstanding year. I'm excited for what we're going to achieve together in 2022. And with that, Thomas, take it away. Thank you, Matthew. And thank you to everyone for joining us. We delivered another excellent quarter and wrapped up an incredible year. In 2021, we achieved multiple records and milestones and ended the year with accelerated revenue growth. Large customer additions continue the outstanding top-line revenue growth and achieve a record 125% dollar-based retention rate in the fourth quarter. We continue to deliver over 50% compound annual growth rate on revenue since 2016 and remain profitable since the third quarter. These achievements reinforce our track record of delivering strong revenue growth at scale and increasingly strong unit economics, benefiting from the inherent strength of our business. Turning to revenue. Total revenue for the fourth quarter increased 54% over year to $193.6 million. Total revenue was driven by another quarter of strong customer demand, both in terms of new local acquisition, as well as expansion within our existing customer base. We ended the fiscal year with a revenue of $656.4 million, representing an increase of 52% over year. As I just mentioned, this makes it our fifth year of delivering at least 50% compound annual growth rate on revenue since 2016 a testament to the consistency and durability of our business model. From a geographic perspective in Q4, we saw continued strength in both the U.S. and internationally. The U.S. represented 52% of revenue and increased 52% year over year. EMEA represented 27% of revenue and increased 60% year over year. APAC increased 14% of revenue and increased 29% year over year. We are pleased to see growth accelerate in APAC and see EMEA repeat as our highest growth geography. EMEA continues to benefit from a number of data localization solutions 
driven by the increasing focus on GDPR and data privacy regulations. Turning to our customer metrics, we exited the quarter with 140,096 paying customers, representing an increase of 26% year over year. We ended the year with 1,416 large customers, representing an increase of 71% year over year. We added 166 large customers in the quarter and 588 large customers in the fiscal year. We are also providing an annual update on a few key large customer metrics, including large customer revenue contributions. Our large customers have not only gone in numbers, but also the average spent with us, causing their revenue contribution to continue to climb through the year. For fiscal 2021, large customers represented 50% of total revenue, compared to 46% of total revenue in 2020. For the full year, we're also breaking out our large customers into cohorts of those who spend greater than $500,000 and $1 million. We ended the year with 121 customers that spend over $500,000 with us a 70% increase year-over-year. We ended the year with 56 customers that spent over a million dollars with us, a 75% increase year-over-year. Year. A significant expansion from our large customers contributed to a record dollar-based retention rate of 125%, representing an increase of 100 basis points sequentially. We continue to see broadly across our customer base and robust traction growth in our large customer cohorts, which continues to outpace top-line revenue growth. Trust retention remains over 90%, and customer expansion continues to be fueled by compelling unit economics and increasingly favorable customer acquisition costs. We will keep investing heavily in building our enterprise portfolio and developing a world-class go-to-market strategy to position us for the massive opportunity ahead. Moving across margin. Cost quarter cross margin was 79.2%, consistent with last quarter. That's our capex represented 10% of revenue in the fourth quarter. In 2021, we added roughly 29,000 paying customers, representing an increase of 26% year over year. Traffic volumes have also increased significantly. In the fourth quarter, traffic volumes grew by 88% compared to the same quarter last year. Despite these significant increases, we were able to maintain network traffic with a percentage of revenue at 11% in a high cost margin of 78.6% for fiscal 2021. This underscores the resiliency of our network and our ability to use cross-margin as a strategic weapon to gain market share. Going forward, we plan to accelerate investments in our global network and expect our capex to be up to 14% of revenue in fiscal 2022. Turning to operating expenses. Fourth quarter operating expenses as a percentage of revenue was flat sequentially and decreased 4% year over year to 78%. We had another strong hiring quarter where we saw our total number of employees increase 36% year over year, bringing our total number of employees to approximately 2,440 at the end of the quarter. Sales and marketing expenses were $86 million for the quarter. As the marketing as a percentage of revenue increased 1% sequentially to 44% from 46% in the same quarter last year. Research and development expenses were $37 million in the quarter. R&D as a percentage of revenue stayed flat sequentially to decrease from 19% to 20% in the same quarter last year. General and administrative expenses were $28 million for the quarter. G&A as a percentage of revenue stayed flat sequentially and decreased to 14% from 16% in the same quarter last year. We saw continued operating leverage in the fourth quarter, with operating margins becoming 550 basis points year over year. Operating income was $2.2 million, compared to an operating loss of $5.5 million in the same period last year. Q4 
That's our second consecutive quarter of achieving operating profit. And as a reminder, we intend to grow our operating expenses in line with revenue, in year or at break even, and reinvest extra profitability back into the business to address the enormous opportunity in front of us. Turning to net income and the balance sheet. Our net income in the quarter was $121,000, or net income per share of zero cents. Tax expenses for the fourth quarter were $1.9 million. We ended the fourth quarter with $1.8 billion in cash, cash equivalent, and available capital security. Free cash flow was $8.6 million, or 4% of revenue, compared to negative $36.5 million, or 19% of revenue in the same period last year. Operating cash flow was $40.6 million in the fourth quarter, or 21% of revenue. This represented an increase of $47.5 million essentially, and an increase of $49.4 million year over year, helped from cash collection to growth of new and existing business. We were pleased to have achieved our first cash flow profit quarter for the company. Going forward, we expect to see some variability in the first half of 2022 as we continue to invest in building refurbishments and network capacity, but we do expect to return to positive free cash flow in the second half of 2022. Remaining performance obligations for ARPO came in at $624 million, representing an increase of 14% sequentially and 63% over year. Current ARPO was 77% of total ARPO. The strengths we saw in the fourth quarter across top line, bottom line, and our post, in combination with our rate of innovation that allows us to continuously expand TAM, gives us confidence and visibility heading into the new year. For the first quarter, we expect revenue in the range of 205 to 206 million dollars, representing an increase of 48 to 49 percent year over year. Expect operating income to be in the range of Five hundred thousand to one point five million dollars, and we expect a net income share of zero to one cent, assuming approximately three hundred forty-eight million common takeout spending. We expect tax expense of one point seven million dollars for the full year twenty twenty-three. We expect revenue in the range of nine hundred twenty-seven to nine hundred thirty-one million dollars, representing an increase of forty-one to forty-two percent over a year. We expect operating income for the full year in the range of $10 million to $40 million. And we expect that income per share over that period in the range of 3 to 4 cents, assuming approximately 352 million common shares outstanding. We expect a tax expense of $8 million. In closing, it has been a remarkable year for Cloudflare as we finish our second full year as a publicly traded company. I would like to thank our customers, partners, and the community for their endless trusting support in us. And I want to thank all Cloudflare employees for their continuous dedication to innovate and deliver in serving our customers and global community. We feel a culture of relentless innovation, powerful platforms, and a successful go-to-market strategy grounded by an exceptionally efficient and durable business model. This positions Cloudflare at the forefront of a tremendous opportunity as the corporate network transitions to the cloud and develop its lineup to build on our edge. In 2022, we'll continue to invest in innovative new products to expand our total addressable market by turning point solutions into features of our global network. I'm extremely proud of what we've accomplished and I'm excited for this year. With that, I'd like to open up for questions. Operator, please hold for questions. At this time, I would like to remind everyone to limit themselves to one question and one follow-up. If you would like to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question today comes from the line of Phil Winslow with Credit Space. Your line is now open. Hey, uh, thanks, guys. Congrats on a great, uh, into a, a great year. Uh, I want to focus on two initiatives that were announced as a fall. First was you know, the global backbone. Where did you give us a sense for you know, just the strategic top behind, behind build it, building that out, sort of the overlay, so to speak, on top of the, you know, the virtual uh, backbone that you have in, in place that we know Cloudflare for? And then also just Cloudflare for offices. How does that, that complement what, what you're doing on the, 
on the global backbone side in terms of it's called being most global but also the most local. Yeah, thanks for the uh, question. Um, th- th- we are always looking at our network uh, and asking ourselves, how can we make it faster? How can we make it more reliable? And how can we make it more efficient? And I think backbone is one of the things that checks all three of those boxes. Uh, we have enough traffic across our network that it is now more efficient for us, meaning it, it is uh, less expensive for us to run over our own private connections uh, than it is over, over the public Internet in many cases. On top of that, um, every time you add another provider, and especially when you add a provider that you have complete control over, that allows you to optimize uh, for the performance and reliability. And with our own backbone, because we fit both sides of that, we can actually do things that you can't do over the public Internet. We can support larger packet sizes. We can actually support protocols that aren't supported um, across you know, the standard Internet. And, and that allows us to really live up to our mission of, of helping build what is literally a better Internet and give our customers an experience you can't find uh, anywhere else. Uh, in terms of customer offices, um, what we have heard from our customers is that as they want to take advantage of all of our different services, uh, they want to be able to plug into us as easily as possible. And so we are trying to offer on-ramps to them to be able to get onto our network uh, and take advantage of our zero trust offering, make sure that their offices are protected from attack, and, and make that as easy as just plugging in a patch people. One of the things that we saw in the second half of 2021 was a real increase in cyber attacks directed uh, directly at uh, the network offices. It used to be once upon a time that GDOS attacks only went after, for example, your corporate you know, marketing website. Um, now that more and more people are relying on virtual desktops or relying on zero-trust network initiatives, uh, attackers are, are smart to that and know that they can cause more harm uh, and, and therefore extract larger ransoms by, ransom by going after uh, the network themselves. If you can make it so that you, as a one of our customers, really never touches the public Internet, you go straight from uh, your office uh, and, and router there to ours, uh, that isolates you from attackers. And so we think that's something uh, that is extremely effective. Again, it's checking all those boxes, uh, being uh, more cost-effective for us to run, being more reliable, being more performant, and in addition to that, really being more secure. So I think we can all line up, and, and again, I think we've seen, um, especially across our upper offices, uh, early uh, success in terms of in terms of uh, adoption, and it's, it's somewhere that we uh, continue to invest in, and we're very excited about. Great. Thanks. And then a quick follow-up for Thomas. Uh, obviously, you continue to have success in, in larger deals with, with enterprises. When you look at your just go-to-market motion, how are you feeling in terms of productivity and ramp time of the, to the new hires, and, and how are you thinking about that uh, coming into this new year? New year? Thanks. Uh, very optimistic. So we've seen that despite the, the, the growth we've seen over the last couple of years, and despite the fact we successfully move up the enterprise stack to larger and larger customers, larger and larger ACVs, that it's been able not only to keep the productivity of um, the product-carrying employees, uh, but also the, the ramp curve getting them to productivity has not changed, and, and our average sales cycle still continues to be under 90 days. So that's, you know, when, when we talk about the durability and the consistency of the business model, that's one of the impressive uh, vectors that we've been able to keep those productivity levers despite the fact that the go-to-market motion has successfully migrated to larger and larger accounts. Great. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. The next question comes from the line of Matt Hedberg with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my question, guys. And also my congrats as well on a really strong year. Um, Matthew, you called out a lot of really exciting um, workers' deals this quarter, which is really good to see. I think it's one of the things we all sort of are excited about longer term. And I'm wondering at this point, now that it's been out for for a number of years, is there some way you can help us understand maybe usage trends or or penetration of workers in your base? Yeah, you know, Matt, we we are we are extremely excited uh, about how workers is is being um, adopted across. Uh, our, our, uh, our customer base. We still see that north of 20% of new enterprise deals 
include workers um, at some level. But I think what's even more exciting is that as we go uh, down market uh, and look at individual developers, because, you know, people who actually have you know, their hands on keyboards are who are the most important, um, we see an enormous amount of excitement there. So a couple of different things. So I think that this is the year uh, that we will pass uh, through, you know, what a, a critical milestone of, of developers, which is how, how do you get to a million developers that are using uh, the workers' platform. We, we see a path uh, to that over the course of 2022, and I think that's going to be a really exciting milestone um, for us. The other piece uh, is we're starting to see companies that are being built entirely uh, on workers. And so uh, there was actually a startup company called Zerai, uh which, which was built entirely using uh, workers uh, to optimize the marketing uh, stack and, and, and build a much more secure, much more performant, and, uh, and much more privacy-friendly uh, sort of marketing, uh, whether that's, you know, pixels or, or, or uh, tags that are on pages, so that in a way that was much more friendly. We, we met that team. They worked with us closely. They were incredibly helpful in, in, um, in giving us feedback. And, and it was actually a company that, um, that, uh, that we, we acquired two, two quarters ago. Again, small team, not, not, a, not a meaningful bit. But what I think is, is important there is that the developers of the future are betting you know, their whole companies on workers. This, Zeraz is not the only example of this. We see more and more companies that are, are starting with workers as their development platform. And the nature of development platforms, you said, do, um, they do create a flywheel where as developers build tools, as they build uh, out an ecosystem, that makes it so more and more developers uh, get involved. And so we're excited about what's going on with workers. Um, we, we, we are uh, we're continuing to invest in that. And, and I think that whole team is just really thrilled with the adoption uh, that we're seeing so far. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, I think it's still early days, but uh, a very exciting uh, customer dance call. Uh, that's really good to hear. We're all worried about where that, what that can do longer term. And then I guess a follow-up, um, you know, you guys had a great response to the Log4j uh, security um, incident, I guess. Um, you know, can you talk about sort of, you know, this is a positive demand driver for you for you all when we look at 2022 and beyond, just as people sort of understand the importance of your global network? There are a couple things about that that were um, that were really that were really interesting. Um, the first is I think it's sometimes underappreciated the the scale of of Cloudflare, what effectively is our sensor network. And so we were able to um, after the Log4j vulnerability was reported, look back across our uh, network, um, which you know is comprised of millions and millions of sites. Uh, you know, with, with the huge diversity in terms of uh, geography, in terms of size and scale, uh, and we were able to see some of the very first exploits of that. What's, what's interesting about that is it, it turned out uh, that we, we, had, we had the data that was two days before, um, before anyone else uh, uh, out there, and it turned out that we actually caught the researchers themselves uh, testing uh, the, the vulnerability. And, and we're, we're able to see exactly how, how that was the case. So I think our ability to see what is going on live on the Internet um, is really the, the diversity of the traffic gives us visibility into things that, that just comes earlier and allows us to react faster. And I think the second thing is that because of the way that we have worked with the research community, we're a very trusted partner in that space. So we got early warning of the, uh, of the attack, and we were able to very quickly react uh, to be able to protect our customers. And I think that that ability to react quickly is not only a, a factor of having the information, but then having a programmable platform, which, which again, workers is at the heart of, that allows us to very quickly adapt and roll out a response. And, and we, we recognize that this was probably uh, the worst vulnerability uh, to come out in, in the last five years. And so we made a call to provide um, a level of protection even to our pre-customers. Because again, I think that building that goodwill 
among a, a larger community the right thing to do. And, and that was very much recognized by uh, our customers uh, going forward. I think over the longer term, you know, this is the sort of vulnerability that really is the best evidence of why you need a zero-trust platform. And the fact that we've got a platform that sees more than anyone else, that is more responsive than anyone else, that is more trusted in the security and research community than anyone else, is able to react quickly and have as much goodwill in the community as anyone else. I think speaks extremely highly of our team, what we've built, and our ability to continue to execute in this zero trust space. And so, you know, again, I, I think that these are the sorts of things that add up to winning in this space over time. People know that we're not just, you know, a, a fly-by-night security company uh, that's flat to the pan. You know that we're a good part and a good steward of the overall internet ecosystem. What we hear from customers is they want to invest behind companies like that, and I think that that's going to be a, a real tailwind for our zero trust. Thanks, Matthew. Well done, guys. Your next question comes from the line of James Fish with Piper Sandler. Your line is now open. Hey, guys. I'm Patrick Porter and guys here. One is like a still question, actually, on Cosmos offices. You know, it, it was a solution that I think Matthew even highlighted to be the speed 22. Um, versus kind of what else got announced during speed and birthday weeks. And, and really just wanted to ask directly how the adoption and deployment of cloud offices has been going and how that tailed into kind of overall software one adoption and getting to that, you know, magic for cloud solutions you have to see per customer. Yeah, it, um, the nature of the office's product is that, you know, you have to install equipment in, in buildings around the world. And so, Right now, we are really focusing on those customers that are um, that, that, that are sort of the early uh, examples of, of people who can use that. Those customers tend to be big Cloudflare adopters already. So uh, a large uh, 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 Fortune 500 uh, technology, consumer technology uh, company uh, uses us for a number of other things wanted us to effectively become their corporate uh, network. We prioritize them in terms of cloud offices. We're learning quickly from what their, their adoption rate is, and uh, and then we'll, 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 we'll roll out based on, on that. Uh, a large uh, international uh, 500 mining company, uh, again, large customer of Cloudflare already, um, was already riding a large track to us, um, was a natural uh, addition for cloud offices. So I think what we will do is prioritize, and what we have been doing is prioritize those customers where we have existing deployments uh, and 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 use. What's often the case though is those customers are sharing some physical space in some of their offices with other customers, and that starts to then create what is the target list of who are the next adopters of cloud for offices. And so I think that it will roll out based more on demand. Uh, and us building toward where, uh, where where customers are asking for it, rather than us um, just deploying um, you know equipment and and hoping uh, for that. And I, and I think that that's a more sensible way of doing it. What we have done though is secure all the technical infrastructure, both the right to be in the the buildings uh, that we think are the most important buildings, and the connectivity to those buildings. Uh, in order to be able to light up things as customers demand it, so I think it's um I, I think it's still a big piece of what's going on. I think it ties in uh, a lot with our magic that magic offering, uh, and then it's a great on ramp uh, for customers that are using our zero trust offering. And I, and I think it's going to kind of one of the uh, under under focused on, but but really maybe under heralded, but really important aspects of, of what we're building and we'll deliver in, uh, in 2022. Makes sense and appreciate that color. And, and you guys highlighted a lot of large wins this quarter, and it looks like the spending for these large net wins kind of picked up quite a bit on top of moving into what it sounded like some more tier one kind of versions like healthcare, telco, and financial services that it implies really your customer quality to improve even within the large enterprise base that you guys talked about. And so, not sure if this is Thomas or you, Matt, but how are you guys feeling about this pipeline and, and extra reach into really the, the cream of the crop here of, of Fortune 500 customers in your 22 guide? 
I know I, it'd be interesting to look back over over the last four quarters, but I think that's actually been a trend um, that's been has been going on for quite some time. Um, in financial services, healthcare, insurance, um, you know, government, we've seen you know, just increased penetration uh, and real and a real understanding of of what Cloudflare is doing. Um, I think that the our awareness in the market has picked up measurably. And we're able to use that. And, and, and then the second piece is that as we land with a customer, um, then we're able to expand um, very, very quickly over time. Based on the broad set of products that we have, you know, I, I think that you know, our, our, we, we, feel, we feel really good that a significant percentage of the Fortune 500 will use Cloudflare for something over the course of uh, you know, the next five years. What our real um, important challenge is, is to make sure that we get those customers to use us for as broad a set of our products and platforms as possible. And I think that's actually the bit that, that really stood out for me this quarter, was that we were seeing more and more of our large customers saying, I want a site license to be able to, I'll commit to spending a certain amount with you um, and, uh, and, and, and we'll screw it up, you know, every year. Um, but, but we want to be able to, um, really invest behind what that overall platform is. And I don't want to get tied up in procurement every time we launch a new feature and, and I want to add it on. I think that's really exciting. There are very few companies that have the breadth of the, of products to be able to get that from their customers. I think the fact that our customers are pulling us in that direction and asking us for those types of licenses is really well for the future of our business. And Jim, what, what I would add is that we've always been really well diversified. So even if you go back to our S1 at the IPO, you could see that there were representation across all critical verticals was really, really strong. And even that quarter, like the soft quarter, was no one customer larger than 5% of revenue. Uh, what you see is that we are more successful landing new big logos because of all the products and features, strengths that Matthew mentioned, but that we are able to accelerate revenue with the existing customers in those verticals, and, um, you know, that is reflected in our DNR. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Your next question comes from the line of Keith Weiss with Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Thank you, guys, and congratulations on, on a great quarter and a great year. Uh, I wanted to dig in a, a little bit to kind of what Matthew Hedberg was asking. Um, any way you could give us um, sort of more of a sense or sort of more a sense of what the major revenue contributors were in this quarter and sort of to that point and to what degree, I mean, ideally like percentage of revenue, what, what degree is stuff like outside one and, and the workers product significant contributors to that revenue outperformance today versus being kind of the, the forward avenues of growth? Because it sounds like they're really starting to contribute on, on loss. And then I have a, a follow-up question for Thomas. Sure, Keith. Um, so, you know, I think when we talk about Software One, Software One is really a collection of a number of our different products. It is saying, how can you use not just WAP, not just DDoS, not just CDN, not just our Access or Gateway products, but how can you use those all together in order to build what is sort of the, the ideal future corporate network? And so what we see is customers are buying into that vision, and when they ask for using the broader set of our our platform. And so I think that what, what we're excited by is that more and more customers are using the broader set of our, our platform. That's great. What we're also equally excited by is there are very few who have fully bought into the entire vision, and that's... That, that's not that they don't buy the vision, but they actually are super excited about that vision. Um, but it's just that, you know, we keep announcing new products and releasing new things, and and that gives us the opportunity to sell more to those existing customers. And I think that that's why you've seen over the course of the last year our dollar-based net retention has continued to pick up, is that we've just done a great job at selling more to those existing, that existing customer base. I think something like workers, again, I think it's hard for us to break out how much of a sale it's responsible for because it does end up in a bunch of different deals as a way to give us 
flexibility and programmability to win uh, those, those deals. What we are seeing independently is that we're starting to see a real uptick in people who are using sort of just workers and that they are starting to generate meaningful bills uh, just from using the workers' platform uh, itself. But it is still, um, I think, something that we think of as sort of if Act 1 was, you know, the CDN, uh, uh, WAP, DDoS, uh, DNS, uh, those types of products. Act 2 is a zero-trust product, uh, which I think we're square in the middle of and, and, and where a lot of our growth is coming from. I think Act 3 is workers, and that still, um, I don't think it's yet really the hockey stick uh, point in the growth curve. That, that's super helpful, Matt. I really appreciate that. Um, and then, uh, Thomas, you talked about network capex um, and being efficient for revenues, um, which is on top of a base revenue drive that's growing very fast next year. And um, how much of that is in terms of like the core kind of network capacity, if you will? And is, is there a picture that's associated with some of the um, uh, newer initiatives, if you will, um, like is, is office having an impact there, or um, R2 going GA, is that having an impact on the, the level uh, of traffic? Um, so I think the first answer is that if you go back over the last five years, we have rather consistently spent about 11 to 12% of revenue for, for network traffic. So the new guidance is south to 14%. It's a slight uptake. Um, it is uh, only a modest amount of R2 investment in this number, and um, you know you heard it uh, already from Matthew. The the the, the ability of the our business model that we can invest behind the demand curve. You know, we've been talking about this for a while on the global market, but it's also true for products like uh, offices. We don't invest free in idle capacity and hope that we fill it over time. So we, we follow demand uh, expansion with existing customers as your financial first priority. So there's little investment in this guidance that is um, ahead of demand that we hope to generate. There's very little at this point in our, uh, for our two and, and, and offices because we can follow demand. So it's more about getting the core capacity where it needs to be, uh, making sure that we move the, the network further out, closer to the eyeballs we want to connect, um, and, um, you know, also be thoughtful about some larger strategic customers that are moving to the way that they've also so that. Mm. Got it. Excellent. Thank you so much, The next question comes from the line of Shaw E.L., the Cohen Company. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good afternoon, guys. Congrats on the ongoing strong performance. Also, thanks for the transparency on large customers' uh, metrics. Uh, I was about to ask both, you know, Matt, Hedgerson, and, and Pete, which can go from different directions, but I think Pete is going to ask you. Um, maybe from a different perspective, you, you called out some, some workers' um, wins and, you know, the displacement, this quarter. Um, can you, Matt, you provide us? Maybe with some more color, who is it that you have that you are displacing uh, in in recent months in that product? Yeah, you know, I think that, that the, the, there, there's sort of two different um, directions um, that that, that product um, displaces. So the first is um, for some users, what they use workers for is to make it the, our product the most configurable version in the world. So if you want the most configurable uh, firewall or the most configurable um, DDoS mitigation service or the most configurable DNS service, workers is a way to extend those services to make them highly programmable and highly configurable. And so I think there are a number of what we would think of as point cloud solutions, uh, people who are in the you know, uh, uh, DNS or, or DDoS or CDN or WAP or firewall space that, um, that workers allows us, uh, to help make, uh, our, our platform do exactly what they always dreamed and wished, uh, that their, their platforms could do. Uh, and that, that I think is, especially for larger and larger customers, something that is really the catnip and it makes them extreme, extremely excited, um, for, for, for using us. I think the other place where we see a lot of displacement, which is, which is sort of a different type of use case, and probably the one that 
is more exciting over the long term uh, is people who are moving away from other traditional public cloud uh, vendors. Uh, what we see is that, um, first of all, the public cloud is moving from a world where, you know, you were effectively renting uh, a VM on, on a box somewhere and you had to manage the operating system and the software and, and everything else to what is a much more managed, what is known in the industry as a serverless um, platform. And I think when you look out and you talk to developers, Workers is one of the serverless platforms that they are the most excited about. And so we see regular wins head-to-head with, you know, competing with sort of an AWS Lambda uh, or a, a Google or Microsoft Cloud function. Those types of, of services we compete really well on. And we try and compete on, on all of the different uh, factors that matter. Um, performance, obviously, but, but actually that's the least important of that. Um, consistency and reliability, which we do a great job because our cold start, we have literally zero millisecond cold start time. Um, the ability for us to be, um, you know, extremely cost effective. And if you do a head-to-head comparison with workers uh, running the same, same workload versus the public cloud, we are, even, even with the margins that we have, we're extremely cost competitive because it's just a better architecture of how we've designed it. Um, ease of use, um, making it really easy, and I think that there's been uh, over over Q4, some really incredible development, and you're going to see more over the coming quarter in us really just making sort of the easiest to use uh, serverless platform that's out there. And then as Thomas referenced, um, I think we're increasingly seeing more and more, especially large, sophisticated customers, because of government and regulatory requirements around data localization and uh, and data sovereignty, that they need to store and process data locally. In fact, we can say in you know more than 100 countries around the world, we can keep your users' data in their home country, not only to be stored there, but actually processed there. That's something that no other cloud provider can compete with. And so if that's something that, from a regulatory perspective, is important to you, those are, those are deals that we are winning uh, more and more. So we're excited about uh, the, the adoption of workers. Again, I think it's sort of a, a two-trick pony. Uh, it is it is both uh, really, really good at being able to help us make all of our existing products as configurable as possible, and then it is also extremely good as a true uh, cloud computing platform that developers are building entire businesses on. Understood. And this is thank you for the great color. Uh, and maybe, um, can you talk about your plans to set up new potential presence in, in 22 as, you know, without a doubt as we're seeing, uh, the network keeps expanding fairly quickly. So maybe you can quantify how many pops you think about establishing, uh, this year? So I, I have to confess I hate the term pop because I think it, I'm just, no normal people know what it means. Um, and, and it's not even how we really think about about the world. What we are trying to do is directly interconnect uh, with as many networks around the world as possible. And so you can you can turn off a whole bunch of pops, um, but if they're not connected to networks, they don't give you any any real real benefit. So we have traditionally talked about the cities uh, that we are in, and we continue to expand that. What we have not done, and it doesn't really matter to our customers, is break down in those cities, how many individual facilities we're in. Um, what, what, we, what, what we are in most major cities now is in multiple different facilities. Uh, in, 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 certain, in certain cities now, we'll have multiple individual availability zones in order to make sure that we have you know, a high degree of, of availability. We are continuing uh, to go into more and more uh, networks around the world. And I think that you know, we're on track to be in, um, you know, every U.S. state uh, before the end of the year. Um, I think we continue to be in the vast majority of, of major cities with over 2 million people uh, in them. And, uh, and, we, and we continue to uh, invest in getting connected to all of the networks in the world. What's unique about us is that we continue to have it so that every day our phone rings with, with network providers around the world who are inviting us to be directly in, in their networks. And that's, that's unique, and it's unique because of the broad set of services we provide, the broad set of customers that we have, 
And I, and I think that that is part of what explains how we've been able to, to achieve and maintain an excellent on uh, our growth margins, even as our traffic rate has, uh, has continued to increase. Um, and, and that's really differentiated from, from anyone else in, in the space. Sure, sure. Andy, thank you so much. Keep up with the great job. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Sterling Audi with J.C. Morgan. Your line is now open. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. I'm just going to ask one question. Matthew, you gave the example of the Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company network security win worth about $750,000. When I think about a Fortune 500 company, I usually think about them spending tens of millions of dollars on firewalls, for example. So what I'm wondering is, is the opportunity when you go in and replace those physical appliances, is it a fraction of the spend that those customers need to make? Or are you just so early that this is just a very tiny beginning in terms of that opportunity with a customer like that? I think we're super early. Um, I think that, it, uh, it, that we are going to continue to be able – what we have seen with customers is that we specifically win uh, with with deals and then are able to expand them uh, over over time as as they as they adopt more and more of our platform. We don't ask people. I mean, one of Thomas's favorite uh, uh, points to, to remind me to, to bring up is that we're not a rip and replace solution. Um, we are happy to go in and uh, put ourselves in uh, the mix with other firewall vendors and be very complementary uh, to them over time, or, or load balancers, or WAN optimizer, whatever, whatever it is. And what often will happen is uh, a customer will say to us. Our existing network is working okay for us, but we've got this far fund office that we need to uh, take care of. We're, we're worried about contractors, and we, we, we want to keep them separate from the rest of, of our network. Maybe you can help us with that. What then tends to happen is they have such a good experience with that that they see that as they replace the time, it's coming up on their hardware uh, equipment. That, 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 well, maybe we can just replace that with Cloudflare. And over time, we win that war of attrition. I think there were really two kind of headspace for the hardware business over, over the last, um, you know, four years. One was the tax cut that really incentivized moving forward CapEx spend and probably, um, kind of artificially buoyed some of the hardware manufacturers that are out there. And the second was really COVID, um, where, you know, people weren't you know, they may have planned on moving to a zero-trust architecture, moving to a cloud architecture, but when COVID hit, they were like, all bets are off. I'm going to buy, buy just more of whatever I have uh, right now. And I think that that is a little bit of a head fake for, from, from the hardware space. What we are seeing, though, is that as people are coming out, as IT organizations are, are seeing sort of a light at the end of the COVID tunnel, they're saying, now, now it's time for us to go back and actually invest in what we think of as a long-term architecture, and and increasingly what we hear from the largest customers in the world and uh, and industry analysts is that what what it is that we're building is that future of the corporate network, and uh, I think more and more um, the customers are, are going to continue to expand over time, and including that pharmaceutical company. Understood. Thank you. And that can we take some more analysts, please? Excellent. Your last question comes from the line of Amit Darianani. Your line is now open. Perfect. Thanks for scooping in. Uh, yeah, and you thought she was in one question as well. Uh, you know, last time there was a fair bit of talk around the R2 offer, which, you know, is something going to get ready for GSP. Can you tell us what has the customer feedback seen for R2 in the last 90 days? And I think since you started talking about it, AWS did lower their industry a fair amount. So I'm curious if that seems to be from your perspective as well. Yeah, well, you know, I actually I didn't disclose their egress fees all that much, but I, but I am flattered that, they, uh, that they're, they're paying attention, and I think they have a long way to go in order to catch up with the rest of the industry. I, I think the leaders in this space um, actually have been folks like Oracle and, and Google who, who have said that um, they will have much more dramatic uh, egress lowering, and I think it's only a matter of time uh, before AWS uh, will, will follow that as, as well. And if we can be a part of, of catalyzing that, uh, for the industry, I think that's a huge win. 
Well, what we've heard though from uh, feedback from our two has been has been terrific. So we've been running it in a private beta. We've had customers on board. Uh, they they've given great feedback on the placement that it's working extremely well. Um, what we're optimizing right now is just making sure that we have to the same performance characteristics that we would expect and that, that customers expect from S3 and that they're architecturally able to meet or beat that uh, over time. We're excited by um, our ability uh, to deliver this. Um, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the day that I can share uh, the logos of who is uh, talking about um, bringing data over. Um, but we have hundreds of petabytes uh, of data that we are confident uh, will, as our team goes GA, uh, be able to move over to our platform. And I think that, again, I, it, it is exciting for the revenue that that will generate, but what I think it's really exciting for uh, is two other things, that it really will help catalyze uh, our overall software workers' growth, and it becomes a fundamental component of that computing platform. Um, but that's then, secondly, that it's going to help unlock the cloud, because I think other cloud providers will have to respond to this. And it is a win for the entire industry if we're able to drive what have been these egregious egress fees uh, down. And what we want to make sure is that customers can choose products based on whoever is the best out there. And we are confident that we've got a platform that can win on the performance, security, reliability, and cost side. And that's, um, that, that's a, I think we're, I am excited for how we are positioned uh, to, to be delivering on our value proposition going forward, and and uh, and our entire team, I'm proud of for what they've, what they've built, and, and that we got uh, AWS to blink a little uh, is uh, is something that uh, I think I think is good for the entire industry. Absolutely, perfect. Thanks for your time. This concludes today's Q and A session. I now turn the call back over to the company for closing remarks. Thank you so much uh, to. Uh, to everyone for tuning in to the earnings call. As, as I said at the beginning, it has been a most excellent uh, quarter for us. There's a ton of hard work that goes in behind the scenes to not just get ready for these earnings calls, but more importantly, service our customers, build great products, and deliver on the value of, of our mission, which is to help build a better Internet. And so I, I just wanted to thank everyone uh, of our customers, every one of our investors, and, and most importantly, every one of our employees for uh, what was an incredible uh, Q4 and an incredible year. We're already hard at work in 2022. We look forward to uh, tuning in to give you the update on what we did in Q1. Thank you so much. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for attending. You may now disconnect.